Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. Back now, and we're in Exodus 5, and uh, I wanted just to overview just a little bit from last week. And we talked about last week in Exodus 5, we see that God's people were faithful. We see, we see a glimpse of hope here where God has commanded both Moses and Aaron. He's commanded the Israelites and told them, hey, I'm going to free you. And Moses and Aaron go and do the things that the Lord has told them to do. And then they are immediately followed by oppression, like horrible, horrible oppression. And we, where they were expecting a blessing, they experienced oppression. And we talked about the reality that faithfulness does not always result in an immediate, um, immediate reprieve from what we're going through. It doesn't, doesn't give us a free pass. You know, being a Christian doesn't mean that you're no longer going to struggle, you're not going to have a hard time, you're not going to deal with depression. Like those things, we don't get freedom from those things. And we talked about how in the struggle that, that the, the Israelites faced, they, instead of what we hoped they were going to do, they, they actually turn and they run to Pharaoh. They run to the source of their problem. They go and they use their, their, they, they use their rational mind and they go, man, well, if we just talk to Pharaoh, if we could just give him some sense and some insight, we'll run to him and, and we'll beg for his mercy to fix this problem. And la- last week, the big thing that we wanted people to understand is, and, and realize is what, what God really wants from us is that we would run to him. And we're going to see um, a thread of this today. We're going to see a thread of where, where we can compare what it looks like when someone runs to man to fix a problem that only God can fix. And we're going to see the difference between this is Pharaoh's response and this was God's response. And so I'm excited to be able to talk to that. I'm going to have my brother Mark come down. If you want to join us in reading, it'll be on the screen. If you have your own Bible or your Bible app, um, you can open up to 519. And we're going to read through 613 in Exodus. The Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go, and because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I and the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I always established my covenant with them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from the slavery to them. 
I will redeem you with an outreached, outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Word of God. So I'm excited about today because, uh, for those who know me, I'm... I'm a little bit of a Bible geek, and I know that. But I think this passage in particular really hit home this week, and, and hopefully um, I'll get through it without too much emotion. So uh, what we'll see here first is that the, this passage actually starts out with a curse. Okay, um, The first curse was the curse of Pharaoh that happened right before, and it was more like what we're used to when someone curses, right? Pharaoh, they go to beg Pharaoh for some, some slack. They're like, man, like, what are you doing? Like, we're your faithful servants. We're over here working. And, like, you took all of our, you know, broken up weed away, so now we can't make the bricks. And then you still want the same bricks. And, mo- and literally Pharaoh's response is, you bunch of slackers. You're lazy. You're no good for nothing. And so the Israelites, as, after they receive this curse from Pharaoh, go and they do the same thing. They curse Moses. If you look here, it, it talks about, when they, um, when they see Moses and Aaron who are waiting for them, they said, may the Lord take note of you and judge. That's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal. Moses is crushed by this. And, and this is why this is important to know. Moses expected because God told him that Pharaoh was going to resist him. He knew that. God told him that. What God promised over and over, though, if you go back and read 3 and 4, don't worry about the Israelites. Moses was worried about the Israelites. Those were the ones he was the most worried about. And God said, I got them. If you say this, it'll be fine. And on initial conversation, on initial proclamation of God's word, guess what it was? It was fine. They received God's word. They were excited. They, they prayed. They worshiped God. Yahweh has heard us. And now this. This was not what Moses was expecting. Remember, Moses communicated to them. If he did it properly, he communicated to them, hey, Pharaoh's not going to listen to us. But God said we're going to go talk to him, and God's going to do something. So they knew that Pharaoh wasn't going to listen to them. And yet they still didn't trust him. Moses is crushed. And for Moses' credit, no matter, no matter what else can be said about him, to his credit, he does exactly what God wants him to do. He runs to the Lord. Last week we talked about this, but it bears repeating. Man, that is what God wants of us. He desires that we would take our worries to him. He desires that we would take our frustrations and our brokenness to him. And the question really does come. We need to constantly look at ourselves. Am I taking my stuff to the Lord? And if not, why? I mean, think about the Israelites. What was their excuse not to? Right? Was God too small? Uh, was their, their burdens too heavy? 
Like they, what was keeping them from doing this? I want to reiterate the verse we looked at last week because I, I love it, and you're going to listen to it one more time. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It's really just 28, not through 30. But all three are good. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't think any of us in here can claim that we're not weary or burdened at some point, right? I know some of us kind of live in that weird, foggy state of constant weariness, right? <laughs> like, I am fatigued, and there's coffee in the back for those who didn't notice. The question is, though, here, are we, are we paying attention? Because Christ said, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're burdened. Come to me if you're broken. Come to me if you're tired. Come to me if you're sad, if you're downtrodden, if you're beaten, if you're broken, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, come to me. Quit doing you. Quit trying to carry your weight. You weren't meant to carry it. One of my favorite lines in, in, uh, uh, in a song, uh, it, it's, it's one of my favorite. It's so well written. It was like, you were not meant to carry this beyond the cross. And every time I hear it and every time I sing it, I always go, Hah! a little bit inside. Because it's the truth. I know my tendencies, I don't know about yours, but I know my tendency is to try to strap that thing up, right? Because I'm a man. I'm an independent American man. I'm going to carry that load. And all Jesus wants us to do is just come to him and set it in front of him and say, man, I can't carry this no more. I'm tired, boss. I can't keep carrying this. Because here's the thing. What the real reality is, is that God's trying to show us how great he is. He is the great I am. And man, we get to see it on full display today. We get to see it on full display we look at back at verse 6-1, if you're keeping up with the tabs, God says, but the Lord replied to Moses, now you will see, and I want to point out this is important because this is what his true desire is for all of us. He wants us to see who he really is. He wants us to see exactly how great he is. And it says the Lord in here, when you see that capital L-O-R-D, that means Yahweh. That is what they are talking about, the name Yahweh. It means I am or forever will be. It's a weird thing. It doesn't fit grammatically, and yet here it is. Because God is the great I am. He is doing something. He has always been doing something. He will continue to do something forever and ever. There's nothing he could not do. And he will break and free us from all these things. And we see what his... From the beginning of this passage, we see exactly what his plan is. Now you will see. Now you will see. What I love in this is that he goes straight from, now you will see what I'm going to do with Pharaoh. And then in a couple of verses, he's going to use some, some, some strange words, and we'll get to it. But what he's trying to point out to is the reality of, up to this point, Pharaoh, the Israelite people, all of their ancestors had not seen God's true power. They've seen a pinky's worth of power. This is a tiny little excerpt. But now, God is going to give Pharaoh the business. He's going to show him his hand. Now, it's important because the word hand and the word arm, these are like emphasis on like the, 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 someone's strength. They'll use it for like war, like, oh, man, we saw the, you know, the arm of Heraclitus or something. And I just made that name up, so I don't, don't go looking for it, okay? Don't go looking for it. It's not there. It's not there. 
But understand, like in here, again, I, I, always, I always struggle with people who take God like super serious and don't forget he has a great sense of humor because I love this phrase. He goes, one, I'm going to do something and you're going to watch him use my hand. My strong hand is going to make, make Pharaoh, okay? And he will drive them out of his land. If you pay attention here in the next few weeks as we dive into some of these miracles, it's going to be really evident whose land this is. And I assure you, it is not Pharaoh's. But I love that that's thrown in there. He's going to drive them from his land. In 6.3, though, we see something interesting that ties right back into this. He says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. What does he point to here? This is one of those passages where so many times people struggle with because they look at it and they go, well, they did know, like the word Yahweh, right? The Lord is the way they like to use it, but Yahweh is in Genesis. And yet here it is where it feels like there's a contradiction. Well, I would encourage you in two things. One, Moses wrote, if, if, as we understand it, Moses wrote Genesis as well as most of Exodus. And we know this pretty confidently. So he uses those words at times to help tie in, hey, this is the same God of Israel that exposed themselves to Moses and the Israelites over here, right in here in Egypt. It's the same God. But the second part of this is, it's not just in the physical name, it's in the actions of what that name means. See, earlier he'll reference names like El Shaddai. Right? They knew me as El Shaddai. El Shaddai is... It has a couple of meanings. The most common is God Almighty. It's the one we'll see in the Bible. They know me as God Almighty. But man, that's, that's a word. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like, we talked about it this week. We were talking about in our discipleship group all the omnis that God is, right? Omnipresent, omniscient. Like, and one of the things, though, that we take certain words for, we assume people know them. So if you look at this word, El Shaddai, it means it has a couple of meanings, but they all are still good, and they're all still the same. One is God Almighty. The other one is God the Overcomer. And then the other one is God the Protector. They knew God as these things. What the Israelites are about to see and what Pharaoh is, is they don't know him as the I Am, as Yahweh. And we're going to see here what God is describing to them are the things he's about to do for them. It's not the name, but it's, it's, it's the promise keeper. He's like, I'm the one that's going to fulfill the things I've already told you that I was going to do. I'm the one who's going to give you Canaan. I'm the one that's going to make Abram's line famous, a multitude, which I've already done. I'm the one that's going to free you from Pharaoh. That's what I am going to do. I am going to be the one who fulfills all these promises. And up to this point, they hadn't seen this kind of power. I mean, even when we think about all the things that happen, right, in the Old Testament and all the things that even happen in Genesis, right, you see creation, okay, cool, but no one was around for that necessarily. Then we see the flood, well, there was only three people around, you know, or a family around for that, right, and a bunch of animals. Here was where God was not only going to show himself in a spectacular way, he was going to show himself to the Israel nation, He's going to show himself to the Egyptian nation, and he's going to make himself known. He does this in three ways. One of them we just covered, 
in the sense of he is the God that is in control. But the second one is, I am the God of the promise. If we look at verse 6, 4, it says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. This word alien sometimes can be translated into like sojourner, foreigner. It really just means someone who doesn't belong, an outsider. For those who like to dig into like the meanings of words, this is the same word that they use for Haggai when she was among Abram and Sarai. It's really interesting. There's a lot of tie-ins to that. We won't get into them today, but it is a good look up for you. But he's a God of the promise. And he says something interesting because he says that this was this, the, the, the part of speech is I and my. I established my covenant. He doesn't say I established a covenant or we established a covenant together. Keep in mind, covenants back then were agreements. Usually you would see it between two kingdoms, and there was two kinds of covenants. There was the side-by-side -side covenant. This guy's powerful, I'm powerful. Let's get together and win a lot of battles, right? And then there was the power of a, a powerful being and a less powerful being. And what, what that less powerful person, entity, group, kingdom would do is they would take an animal and they would split it in half and separate it, and then they would walk through it. And essentially what they were saying was, if I fail to keep my bargain, may this happen to me. Right? Split me asunder would be the old King James way of saying it. But if I fail, split me asunder. Here's what's crazy. If you go back to looking at these covenants with Abram, God's the one who splits the animal and sets it aside. Is it because he's less than Abram? No, he's not. I want to go ahead and... This is, he's not. It's because he's the one who's going to keep the covenant. He knows Abram's not going to be able to keep the covenant. He's like, you're going to fail. Like five minutes from now, you're definitely going to fail. Almost immediately. But God's the one who splits the animal and, and walks through it. He's the one who set the covenant. Here's the thing. When people set a covenant, we break them, right? How many times of us, as much as we don't want to, we say, I promise to one of our kids, someone we love, and we're like, oh, definitely, I'll promise I'll do that, and then you don't. Right? We just don't. We're not good at keeping promises. We're not good at it. If it was ours, it would fail. It could be broken. It wouldn't come past. But you see, Yahweh, the I will, the I am, never fails. He doesn't fail. His promise is true. His promise was true then, and he's, and he's telling Moses, my promise is still true now. See, he says, I heard, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the, Isra the Egyptians were forcing to work as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. See, the Israelites thought they had forgotten them. Right? He remembered their cries. When Moses went to the Israelites, he told them, Yahweh, the God of Abram, Jacob, Isaac has heard your cries. That's what he says to them. He has heard your cries, and he is coming for you. That's a promise. I've heard them, and I'm coming for them. They're Abram's people. I've not forgotten what I promised Abraham. I've not set it on the back burner and just 
More importantly, I haven't forgotten the, the promise, the blessing that I told Abe, uh, Adam and Eve. That there would, be a, there would be someone who crushes the head of the snake. All these things are going to happen. They're coming. I am the one who's going to do them. I am the one who's going to make this come to pass. In their moment of discouragement, they felt like they had been forgotten them. And I think many of us feel that way sometimes, right? Like we get discouraged, we get down, like it feels like God's forgotten us. Especially, God forbid, we, we, we follow through on something God's called us to do. And we're like, no, I'm almost certain God called me to this. Like I, I know he called me to this. And then we, we, hit, we hit something, right? We hit a wall, we hit some struggles, we hit an obstacle, we hit a closed door, and it's like, did, he, did, did I get it wrong? Did he forget about me? Did he misspeak? Like, what happened? But God is the God of the promise. He remembers his covenant's people. He remembers his covenant. And he comes to restore them. Now, the last point has subpoints because I'm a Baptist and that's what we do here. <laughs> it's probably more because I'm a teacher and I like things that are organized. Um, but he's the God who saves. You can put AKA, slash, whatever you like. He's the God of the gospel. See, so many of us, and I grew up the same way, the good news felt like it started in Mark, right? Felt like it started in the New Testament. It didn't. It started in Genesis. God's always been the God of the gospel. If we read this first part of about the 6-6, this is God telling, he says, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring them out from the forced labor of the, of the Egyptians. And I will rescue them from slavery. He says, I'm the God who will bring you out. That's what I'm going to be. God promises both to the Israelites, he promises us now, the same thing. Freedom from our oppression. Freedom from our sins. Freedom from ourselves. I don't know if you know this, but you're your worst enemy. You really are. We get in our way all the time, whether it's our own self-indulgences, whether it's our own doubts. I mean, think about the Israelites. Man, they have someone who literally comes and says, hey, God's going to free you. Watch this cool stuff I can do. Right? God's going to totally free you. He's heard your cries. He knows you. You are the children of Abraham, and he promised Abraham, and he promised Isaac, he promised Jacob, he's going to free you. And then the moment things get hard, and they will get hard, their doubt over, just consumes them, their, their rational mind takes over, and they're like, we've got to go talk to Pharaoh. Instead of going, man, I need to go and reach out. What, what, where's Yahweh? Let me run to Yahweh. Let me run to God. As the God of the gospel, he also brings redemption. You know, I didn't know this word was in the Bible so early, right? It says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a great axe of judgment. That word redeem, man, that is a Christianese word. I know so many of us, we hear it, it goes on that back level burner, like, oh, I kind of know what that word is. I've heard it enough times. I can put context together, maybe. That word has so many things to it. It means to purchase, to restore, to protect. God redeems us. He purchases us, right? He restores us. He protects us. Yahweh, 
does these things. Not us. Not your works. You can do all the works. You can be really good. You can be a kind person. You can do the things. Doesn't matter. Not your faith. Sometimes we get in our head like, oh, man, I just got to have enough faith. No, you don't have enough faith. The thing you should be praying about every day is, God, give me some more faith. The Bible talks about this. It's not our faith. If it was our faith, then it would be dependent on us. And guess what? Thank God it isn't. Thank God it isn't. It's not our traditions. You can show up every day to every church thing you can possibly show up. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. That's the good news. I know it doesn't feel like good news right now. Right now it feels like bad news. Like, oh man, it's not enough. I'm not enough. I don't like that. But here's the thing. God didn't say you had to be. God does the redeeming. He purchased you. That's what's so great about this. The Israelites couldn't free themselves. He frees them. He does the same thing for us. That's what redemption means. He means I am the one who has purchased you. He purchases the Israelites. We'll see the tie-in there when we get to the miracles, but... And I would say I'd ruin it, but all of you have a Bible, and quite easily you could access even some other things. God purchased it at the end through the sacrifice of lambs, right? The blood that's on the door. He does the same thing for us, but it's not just a random, it's not just a little, it's his lamb, his son. He purchased us because he knew we couldn't do it. He knew we needed saving. He knew we were unable. I love it because it gets better. He's the God of the good news, because he adopts us. He says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And you know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labors of the Egyptians. That word adoption is so, it means so much more than just like inviting someone into your house. For those who have adopted if you spend a little time with them, you'll realize that there is literally no difference between them and any child God may or may not have given them. They care so deeply for that child. That child is their child. In their mind, that is all that matters. The same thing happens with God. In fact, what's interesting is, is even in the Jewish context, this was the same idea. When you adopted a child, when you took on the legal rights of them, they became an heir. They were now not just part of your family, because you could always invite someone into your family. There was even people who might be related to you that you wouldn't necessarily consider your heir, but God brings us into his family as one of his heirs. He gives us a place of honor as a child. It adds a little more context to Luke 15, the prodigal son. The son had run away from home. He had embarrassed his father. He had dishonored everybody. And when he comes home, he's thinking, man, if, man, God... My dad's slaves live better than I do right now. He goes and begs his father, like, look, you don't have to take me back as a son. I don't deserve that. Take me as a slave. Like, take me as the lowest of low. I just, like, let me eat. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, just, just let me eat something. Let me have a place where I can lay my head down that's not in the middle of a pig trough. And his father doesn't respond the way you think an angry father would respond. Instead, he, he runs to his son and embraces him, and he clothes him with the finest clothes, and he gives him a ring of honor, and he makes a big feast for him and he makes a place at his table for him and that's what God does for us that's what he's saying he's going to do for the Israelites he's like you are now my heir I have made a covenant with your people you are going to be like mine you're going to worship me and you will be mine and the last is the inheritance God says I am the God who gives you what you don't deserve 
He says, I'll bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'll give it to you as a possession. He gives it to them. They don't take it. We've read through some Joshua passages in here. If you read Joshua real carefully, you'll notice God gives them Canaan, and he tells them they need to clear it out. But it was theirs. He gave it to them. It was a gift. The thing about gifts is, you know, sometimes we deserve them, right? Like I got a birthday around the corner, and people give me some gifts. Cool. That's good. I like gifts. Gifts are good. I like them. But how many times have you gotten something from somebody, and you're like, man, I, whew, I don't deserve this. Like, sometimes it's like, ooh, I don't deserve this. But sometimes, a good gift, it's more like, man, I, you ever had that happen? You ever had someone? I'll tell you one that, that happened to me. Um, and the sad part is, uh, you know, I, I, it was one of those things where I didn't even think about it. Like, I remember uh, my granddad had a bunch of pocket knives. Now, t- you know, to him, it probably wasn't a big deal. To me, I was like, oh, man. And he, you know, I... A little kid, I like to run around and cut things, think I'm cool. You know, I like sharp objects, why not? And I remember one day I was sitting there, and I'd done something dumb. I don't remember what it was. I was in trouble. And I remember he'd come out there, and he sat next to me, and he digs in his pocket, and he pulls out this little ivory pocket knife, one blade on it, nothing fancy. He hands it to me. He says, look, so I know you're having a rough time, but I think you're old enough to deal with this and and handle it well, and I'm going to trust you with this. I was like, I was blown away. That was a gift. And at that moment, I didn't feel like I deserved it. You know, I'd been running around just being a wild kid. I was overwhelmed by that gift. But that's nothing compared to the kind of gift that we get from God. See, we get mercy. And, and a lot of people want mercy. A lot of people can understand mercy, right? Mercy is being forgiven for something you did, right? Being exonerated for something you did. But God doesn't just give us mercy. He gives us grace. And grace is he gives us something we don't deserve, Israelites are going to have to, for the next 40 plus years, are going to be complaining, and he still gives them the promised land. He doesn't give it to that generation, but he gives it to the people. He still gives them a gift that they don't deserve. Man, that's so good. Like, that's the kind of God that he's showing them. Keep in mind, what is he doing? He's showing them who he is. He's like, I'm, I'm this kind of God. I am this kind of God. I am the God who's going to save you. I am the God who's going to redeem you. I am the God who's going to keep his promises. I am the God who gives you things you don't deserve. If we follow the story and if we remember some of the things he mentioned before, when they kick the Israelites out, they leave with buckets of jewelry. The Bible uses this fun word that means like uh, jingly things. which In my head, I just think of like big, glorious chandelier earrings. That's the kind of abundance just ridiculous giving that God has. He gives us what we don't deserve. He promises them, and he gives them a land of promise, and he does the same thing for us. Now, many of us are like, man, I hope that, you know, you'll hear preachers preach, and and I'll tell you right now, a bold-faced lie, God wants to give you that land today. No, he don't. Not necessarily. Keep in mind, a whole generation dies before they ever see it or before they ever enter it. God's promise 
for a new covenant. God's promise for a new land isn't the land that we walk in right now. It is for a new heaven and a new earth. That's his promise for us. I got, Brian talked about how, like, the, the process. Christ says, I'm leaving so I can make a place for you in my Father's house. And there's so many good things. I may have Ryan come up and just talk about that one day because it's so sweet and so beautiful and so in-depth. That's the promise we have. God's making a way and a place for us right now. But with all that good news that Moses takes to them, it says they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. That phrase right there actually can be translated into something different. It means their spirit was cut like wheat. I like that phrase. I don't know about you guys, but I was like, dang, that's... They were cut down at the knees. Their spirit was broken. No, there are times when discouragement is such a burden, we cannot cast it aside. There are people who are so overwhelmed by their brokenness, they cannot rid themselves of it. And the Israelites here were so broken and so discouraged They could not accept, they could not embrace this hope of the good news that Moses had brought to them. They could not embrace the I am who was promising them freedom and redemption and the promise and the inheritance. And this is something that sometimes we don't talk about a lot in churches. Because we think and we expect that anyone who hears that gospel would be able to accept the hope that it brings. And that's, that's not true. It's a dismissal of the struggles in this life. Despair is real. Discouragement is evident. Depression is burdensome. I want to give you a quote I found this week, and I was like, man, this is so good. Charles Spurgeon said this. He's a famous preacher from a long time ago. It says, some cannot receive Christ because they're so full of anguish and are so crushed in spirit that they cannot find strength enough to mind, of mind to entertain a hope that is by any possibility salvation can come to them. The mere struggle to exist exhausted all their energy and destroyed all their hope. For those who have been fairly close to us, this has been a long week for us. Um, we had some neighbors we were very close and dear to who we had to lay to rest this week. And um, it was hard. Uh, we were thankful we were able to serve them. But the burden we carried this week was difficult because it was both a concern for them and the way that, the, just the love that we had for them, but also the concern for their salvation. And um, I don't know, nor any of us or any man, know the state of salvation or the condition of someone's heart. I can only test to my own. That's all I have. But I do know that they had dealt with a lifetime of despair, a lifetime of discouragement where hope sometimes felt few and far between. And I, and I don't know necessarily where they fell. I prayed for them. I did all I could. But I bear the grief knowing that, man, maybe what could I have done more? Could I have done just a little bit more? 
And so I pray the same prayer that Spurgeon ended that previous quote with. If such a one that is crushed in spirit has come here today, I pray you do not throw away the next world because you have so little in this one. Don't forsake the next world for this one. Don't throw away the gift of grace for the indulgence of the day. Don't allow your despair to convince you that God has forgotten you. Run to the Lord if you are broken. Run to the Lord if you are hurting. Run to the Lord if you are tired. Run to the Lord if you are depressed. Run to the Lord if you are fearful. No matter what, if you have to crawl to him, get to him. Because God has not forgotten you. For some of us, perhaps the Lord has strengthened us. Perhaps the Lord has uplifted us and dug us from this valley and walked with us through these hard times. And here's the challenge for you. You are his hands now. You are called to care and love for those who are broken, for those who are hurting, for those who are tired, for those who are filled with despair, for those who are distressed, for those who are fearful. You're his hands and feet now. If you've been infilled with the Spirit and you have been strengthened and encouraged, then your call is to run to the Lord to be infilled and then to run back to those who need it. That's why it's so important we don't just sit here. It's so important that you don't listen to me for 30 minutes, 35 on a bad day, and then leave here and think that that is the end for you today. And you'll come back next week and get a little more church and grow in that way. God is calling you because there are lost people. There are broken people who are cut. Their spirit is cut like wheat. And that is your calling. That is your purpose. It's not just so we can get everybody to heaven. It's because some people are so broken that they can't even see God. They can't hear the gospel. And they need to see what it looks like. God is going to spend the next chapter showing the Israelites and showing Pharaoh and showing the Egyptians his great might. God does the same thing through us. It's not us. You are not all that particularly impressive, but the spirit working through you is amazing. And God has promised us that we can use that, we can tap into that, that we have access to that. So that's my prayer for you. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And as they come up, we're going to pray. But as we close, I want you to keep that in mind this week, that we should all be running to the Lord. But you are not just a drain pipe that pours into a never-ending. You're a bucket. And your job is to be filled up and then to be thrown apart into, the, into the, wherever you need to be to water the fields. And what flows out of you has to be flowed in first, right? The Lord should be pouring into you. But don't just sit there and let it sit. Stagnant water is not alive, as the Jewish tradition would say. It just sits there. It's dangerous. It's full of bacteria. It's deadly. It's no good. But water that's running, right? Water that's flowing out, that's that's the water that we speak about. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www 
www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.